Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2022 Sight and Sound Greatest Films of All Time list. So let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? Doing well. I'm really excited about this conversation. Yeah, this is something I have been anticipating probably since um, 2020 when we started doing this podcast. I think was when I first became aware of the Sight and Sound list. And then I realized we were only two years away from uh, from a new list. So I have spent most of 2022 waiting, hearing people online talk about, you know, critics who have had submitted their lists, either uh, either publishing them or not. But but I kept waiting for this. And then a few weeks back, um, this came out. So what, we, what we're what we going to do today is just kind of dive into this. Now, you and I each also created our own ballots. If we, if we had had a vote, what our ballots would be. So we'll talk about those as well. But maybe to start with Barrett, what stands out to you about the 2022 list oh my gosh Sam there's there's so much that stands out so um you know first of all I guess I'll start with the obvious one which is the the number one film on this list which is a Jean Dielman uh from 1975 a film by directed by our female director Chantal Ackerman um and you know you know this a couple things about that first of all I mean here's a here's a film that uh jumps from 35 to, to number one uh, and we can talk a, a later about why that happened, right? So, so that's that's an obviously a a, a, a big a big change. Uh, it's also a film that um, probably the more casual film viewer, uh, maybe even some listeners to a podcast like this one, may not have heard of. Um, so, I think that's the other kind of interesting thing about that is, is jumping to the top. Um, I would also have to say that the uh, the list this year is. Um, you know, much more diverse than it's been in, in, in the past. Uh, we have um, more female directors than before. We have more black directors than before. So we have people like Spike Lee and Charles Burnett. Again, Burnett might be another name that people don't know, director of Killer of Sheep, uh, Barry Jenkins from Moonlight, uh, a Senegalese director. Um, you know, so those, those are on the list. And then, you know, it, it's nice to see the uh, addition of some animated films, a couple of Miyazaki's, uh, including Spirited Away, which we watched, uh, is on there. Um, the fact that we have uh, three new films in the top 10 that have not been that, that high before in The Mood for Love and Boat Travail, along with Mulholland Drive. Um, they've been on the list before, but never that high. And it's kind of interesting to see what, what fell off. Um, Seventh Seal is gone, Agira is gone, Chinatown, Touch of Evil, Raging Bull, Godfather Part Two, those, those, those fell off uh, from where off the list. And then for the first time since 92, we've had films on the list that were made less than 25 years ago. Uh, when that happened in 92, it was 2001. But this year we have films as recent as Parasite, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, uh, Moonlight, uh, Get Out. So I think the the the, the first list in '52 was put together by um, I think it was 68 critics, something like that. Mm -hmm. This list is put together by 1,600. So uh, it's I think it it is not surprisingly more diverse as a result. Yeah, I would say the first thing that jumped out at me was uh recency uh because when i looked at the 2012 list which was the first time that they put out the um the hundred i guess before that i didn't realize it's before that they had always just published the top 10 mm -hmm. um so so in in 2012 was the first time they put out the top 100 and i remember 
combing through that because obviously the first thing you do uh if you're especially if you're new to this like i am is like okay let's look for what i've seen before yeah um and uh i i was just struck by how few movies by 2012 how few movies from the 2000s there were there were just a handful Mm -hmm. and even the 90s there weren't much so i was like so i so i was kind of hit by that right away so i was expecting like okay on this list are we gonna see more 90s more you know maybe a couple from the early 2000s and what we got instead was actually quite a bit from the 2000s that -hmm. was that was i think the thing that um that jumped Mm -hmm. out at me that that from this millennia there is uh there are 10 films Mm -hmm. which is which is quite a bit um when you start to you start to put that together so and again two of them from 2019 from you know just kind of the last great movie year because it's pre-pandemic, you know that there that there were two movies from from uh, that recent. That that definitely was the first thing that jumped out at me. Um, one of the things that I was tracking, and maybe this is our way into uh, into the number one film, is I was looking at a lot of sites where people were making predictions about what was going to be at the top of this list, and there were four movies mostly that I saw people mention i saw people mention vertigo because that was was number one i saw people saying well will citizen kane bounce back and take number one again uh i heard people saying is this the time for tokyo story to actually be the number one Mm because that was sitting at three and then the one that sort of the the movie that i heard that people were talking about sort of coming up to say well maybe this will be the year for kubrick's 2001 a space odyssey Uh, hit number one which is number one on the director's poll yes um i had I will say I've never heard of the number one movie before uh, other than reading it on the 2012 list as, you know, my eyes would go past it as, well, that's a movie I've never seen before. Yeah. Um. So, so what do you, what do you, now you haven't seen that movie. You haven't seen uh, John Dillman either. Or Jean Dillman either. What do you know about this movie? Well, I, I, I uh, <laughs> a couple of things. Uh, well, as I already mentioned, it's a, it's a female director. Um, secondly, I know that it's very long uh three hours and 20 minutes and i also know that in a sense it kind of anticipates what we now call slow cinema um i know there's a four minute scene of her making meatloaf um and this this actually gives me hope that it's a film i will enjoy because i'm as you know i'm a tarkovsky fan uh and uh and tarkovsky is one of the kind of pioneers of, of slow cinema so, and, and, I, and I know that it's a film that focuses, as the title tells you, which is one reason why this film can't stay, stay in my head, because I can't keep that title in my head. It's got to be one of the worst titles of all time. But at the same time, that's the whole point. It is, it is a film about an everyday, it, it's a film about an ordinary life uh, that has tragic elements to it. Um, so that's, that's what I know. I'm, I'm really interested in seeing the film, but that, that's what I know now. Now, um, when you think about a list like this, maybe this is a moment to talk about list making in general. What is the utility of Sight and Sound coming out with this list? And maybe, you know, what did it mean in 1952? What does it mean in 2022 uh, for for a list like this to come out? I mean, and maybe here we're leaning towards like, what is the meaning of canon or things like this? Yeah, so, well, you know, first of all, I... I honestly don't think that the point of a list like this is really the ranking, mm-hmm. even though we're talking about the ranking. I really, you know, you and I have both done this exercise of putting together top 10 films. And we realize it's, I mean, I think everybody goes into it with this disclaimer, like it's a silly and stupid thing to do, but let's do it. So 
But I, I think the list making rather than the ranking is important because a list like this, I look at it and to me, it's about what does it mean to have some kind of a cultural education in, in cinema? So here's a bunch of movies that a lot of people like. So this, this kind of gives me a little bit of a project for, you know, what might be worth my while what to watch. And then I think even more importantly, and we get a little bit more into this as well, I think a list tells you about, a lot about cultural change. I, I, I think a list tells you a lot about um, not only what people value, but even how certain cultural knowledge is passed on. So for example, you know, one reason why the new number one might be the new number one is that it's much more widely available than it used to be. Um, and we talked about that with Vertigo when we, we you know, we talked right. about Vertigo uh, on this podcast and we mentioned that, you know, maybe one of the reasons why Vertigo went, got to where it was, was it became after the restoration, it became so much more available. So people aren't going to rank movies that they haven't seen. So I think part of what the list tells us is what is out there for people to watch and how does that affect the way they think about these films relative to each other? Now, uh, one of the interesting things, if we're thinking about about canon, now here here is here's a number that I heard on a podcast. So I'm going to take this as true. I think it's probably close to true that I think 48 out of the movies on this list are distributed in part through Janus Films. Mm-hmm. which is which is criterion so yes. um so you know if, if the goal of criterion is to build a canon they're doing pretty well to have basically half the movies on this list are things that uh that that criterion has at least some distribution um some distribution on mm-hmm. um so the methodology for this maybe we should talk about this uh and then you can tell me what you think about this as a methodology is that um sight and sound reached out this time to about 1600 film scholars and critics and had them each submit a list of 10 movies, 10 unranked. So you, so you're not saying here are my top 10 in order, but just here are 10. Um, here are the 10 films that, that I would put um, on this list. Um, so what we're seeing here. So the number one movie is just the movie that appeared on the most of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe I was reading, they're going to publish the, the, uh, the receipts on this, that they're going to publish mm-hmm. the data on it, which will be really fascinating. Actually. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of critics and directors, if you poke around online have published their, their lists, and those are fascinating to look yes. at. Sometimes it makes me feel good because a movie, you know, I think about something that I like, you know, and it's like, Oh, well that showed up on this director's list. So like, I feel better about liking this mm-hmm. movie or that movie. Some of them, I mean, the lists are very idiosyncratic. Um, they're very, um, very much uh sometimes people pushing a particular point of view a particular ideology about film how do you feel about the sight and sound methodology if we acknowledge you know list making has its has its issues how do you feel about this particular methodology you know i <laughs> i'm about to say sam I'm, I'm not a statistician and um I, I i think that's probably as as good a methodology as any i mean there's a part of me that likes the idea that you know, you come up with number one just based on the frequency with which the film is mentioned. Um, I mean, it, it would be kind of messy, but it might be, in a sense, kind of more accurate if you actually did ask people to 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 rank them on their list. And then, of course, it's like the the balloting for um, 
uh, the Cy Young Award, right? So then you uh, mm-hmm. then you then you you total up how many which movie was on most number one, which I mean, in in a sense, I I think it'd be interesting to see how that how that played out. Because I'm not I also sure wonder because in a sense, what you're saying is the most popular movie. It, it, right. If you're doing how which one was mentioned more most frequently, in a sense, what you're sort of saying is it was the most popular movie, this number one. But you don't exactly know what, why or how it was it was being valued. But maybe that's OK to speak out of the other side of my mouth, because if you were to ask me what methodology I use to put films on my list, I would give you a rather um mixed bag answer it's like i don't i don't work with one criterion so maybe it's it's okay that we don't ask people to rank based on criterion just say put it on the list where what for whatever reason you have it on the list just put it there and then we'll sort it out well and, and, and we're going to get into our methodologies and, and actually what i like about this is it does have a little before using baseball references it does have a little bit of like mvp to it as well like they don't mm. define what is like like why is this movie on your list or anything like that or um i also think what's interesting about this and this makes it different than say cy young voting or mvp voting is you have the 2012 list to work from mm-hmm. right so it's like we know what people said before so over time and, I, and this is not new to now but because we saw the whole 100 from 2012 as you're putting a list together you can think about well what did they miss last time and what do i want to make sure would have put on this list mm-hmm. you know so like 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 there is more of a sense of like i you could push an agenda more so for example like um you could say to yourself i think citizen kane is great i think vertigo is great i think tokyo story is great they're going to be on this list anyhow. So why would I use one of my 10 spots to put them on the list Mm -hmm. when instead Mm -hmm. I could push this other filmmaker and maybe tip them onto the list. And if they hit the hundred people are going to go out and see that movie. (laughs) So, 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 and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because the other thing is that the 2012 list doesn't get expunged from history. We can still see the 2012 list and now we can see the 2022 list. So, so I definitely, when I was thinking about um, my my list i had a little bit of that in mind i did a little bit of like well what are what are things that i that i want to be high on the list so even though i know they're going to be there i want to tip them up but then what are people that that weren't represented where i feel like this is an important thing to me and i want to put it on there um so when you looked at this list one of the things i'm curious about is how many of these films had you seen on this 2022 list? Uh, about 70 yeah. So and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've got some, I've got some big gaps, but yeah, I've seen about, uh, about, about 70 of them. So. And I, I counted mine and I think I was at 48. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, I was at 48 on the 2012 list as well, but it's a different 48. So like the, <laughs> the, the ones that I'd seen that I'd lost, I got that many back. Um, and we've watched, a, we've watched 27 of these films uh, as part of this podcast series. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, basically a quarter of this list are things that we have um, that, that we've, we've looked at um, what, so, so maybe let's get into um, thinking about our ballots a little bit. What was your process for doing this very difficult thing? And it was very difficult to say 10 movies that I want to put my flag in the ground for. Okay. So <laughs> But I, I the first the first part of my process, Sam, was uh, the classic desert island exercise. 
So I was imagining myself on a desert island and what would I want to watch if I could only watch 10 films? So that, that was one criterion. And, and I, thought a I thought a little bit about, um, thought a little bit about films that I actually have already done that with. You know, there are a number of films that I have watched several times. So I, I was, that was my main criterion. Um, I was also a little, a little concerned about wanting particular directors on my list. Uh, I was a little concerned about wanting particular genres on my list, but I have to say that I, I, I kind of, um, I kind of kowtowed to a kind of a classic canonical thinking and, uh, and probably didn't put as many of my personal favorites on the list as I would have if I wasn't kind of thinking about, you know, is this really a film that I think stands the test of time since Santa's has to being watched over and over. And I should say that one of the characteristics of the list, which is changing a bit, uh, you know, Scott New York Times talks about this, is it tends to be, you know, art house and kind of respectable genre films. And so he talks a little bit about the fact that the list isn't really messy enough. You don't really have, it's starting to get a little messy with a film like Parasite, for example. But I would say my list is not very messy. I have some pretty, you know, classic uh, genre, genre films or classic art house films. Yeah, and I will say what I my, my my methodology was for one thing I said no more than one film per director even though even if I think you know mm-hmm. let's say Stanley Kubrick made three of the greatest movies of all time he I'm still only gonna gonna go right, right. With, with with one film per director I thought a part of my list was how do I make sure the things that I think are at the top of the canon stay there so mm-hmm. you know things that I that I knew were gonna be on the list anyhow but I'm like I want to put I would want to push my um, part of part of whatever weight my vote had towards keeping a Citizen Kane in the top 10 or something like that. So even though I had no fear that, wow, what if that doesn't show up on the list doing that? And then the other, otherwise I went through directors and I was particularly um, thinking about some more recent directors, more directors from my adulthood mm-hmm. where it's like, I think these are great directors that aren't on this list. So I went through and thought, well, what is the movie of theirs that I think should be on this list? And and it was tough because some of them have multiple things. Um, so so mm-hmm. so so I, I used part of my ballot for that to say like, yeah. well, I, and I will say I was le- far less successful with some because a lot of those directors just don't appear on this list. Um, I'm wondering if in 2032 we see kind of in response to this list, people saying like you know, why is there not a Paul Thomas Anderson movie on this list? Like, mm-hmm. like, that seems strange that he's not represented at all here or something like that. Now, I will say, um, I definitely, uh, my list is is very white and very male. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, and 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 that's, I, I realize that's a, a sort of a shortcoming um, of my list. So did you have any films on your list before we get to the reveals here that weren't on the 2012 list? Yes, you did. Okay, and 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 yes, and not on the 2012 and not on the 2022. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I'm wondering what that one is. Because I because I've seen I I've, I saw the list of your movies that made it onto the 2022 list. So there. So hold on to that one because that that's uh that that that's one I'm re- I'm pretty interested in. Um. <clears throat> so before we get to our ballots, did you have any honorable mentions? Anything that fell just short where you were like, I I I really wrestled with this. I ended up not putting it on, but like. I would like to give it a shout out here to somebody listening. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. G- give me a, give me a couple of, of those. Well, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll start out with one just to needle you a little bit, Sam, uh, bringing up baby. 
Ah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and actually in Hawks, you know, Howard not Hawks, on the one list. of the directors is not on the list. Uh, Rio Bravo dropped off. So, you know, so that, that was one. Um, another one that uh, just missed for me was Touch of Evil. Um, that also dropped off this time. Uh, but one of the reasons I didn't include it was I was, I guess I was unconsciously following the rule you mentioned, which was um, no, f- only one film per director. So that also meant that, um, that also meant that Eraserhead didn't make it. Um, and this will hurt you because this probably was on your list, but Passion of Joan of Arc didn't make it. Um, Bicycle Thieves, really close, didn't make it. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, um, M. And then just because, I suppose it was because of our most recent uh, exercise, I, I, none of the three colors made it. You know, I couldn't choose mm-hmm. one. And then, and Kieslowski's not on, well, yeah, Kieslowski's not on the list, I don't think. Right. Anyway, right. so yeah, so those were all honorable mentions for me. And I should say, because as of 2012, they they said things like trilogies or like the yeah, yeah. Godfather 1 and 2, that those have to be treated as separate films, which I think hurt. I think if 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 Three Colors was allowed to be represented by one spot, I think it probably maybe shows up there. Yeah, but I think it's yeah. a lot tougher when you're debating red, blue. Yeah, you know, I mean, I gave strong consideration to red, but I just want them all together. So, so what were your near misses? So uh, here are my my near misses, and so uh, basically these are near miss directors for me. So mm-hmm. uh, I I, and this is maybe not even his viewed as his best film, but I love Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Oh yeah, I yeah. really really like that movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't put that on the list, but I when I was thinking about PTA, I thought, well, that's the one that I would put on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about Fincher, and I really struggled with what to put on. I I'm a huge Zodiac fan, so yeah. uh, and that's also tip of my hat to my daughter, who also when I had her make her list, Zodiac was on there, and I said, well, that was almost on mine as well. I think that's my favorite of his mm-hmm. uh i put I, I i a near miss for me was i, I thought about wes anderson a lot too and yeah. i thought grand budapest hotel is probably his best mm-hmm. um the the um the other one that i that i put on there that i don't think i've ever talked with you about and i don't know if you've ever seen it but it's such an interesting movie that i find myself wanting to go back to it again is uh it's not even a filmmaker that i i've seen enough of to love is um Richard Linklater's uh, Slacker. Have you ever seen that? I have not. That I've seen several of his films, but I have not seen Slacker. So Slacker is. I, it may even be a student film of his, or the la- the first thing he did after student films. Um, it it was on Criterion. They did a series of uh, micro budget films uh, mm. last summer. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie I'd heard of and never watched, and and um, it is such an interesting idea for a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 fairly experimental and plotless, but like I kind of loved it, so I didn't put it on the list. But that was that was another one where it's like you know if I had another spot, like I I. I find him to be a really interesting filmmaker who's obsessed with the idea of time in lots and lots mm-hmm. of different ways. And Slacker definitely uh, plays into that as well. So that was, that was one that did that, uh, that didn't make my list. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe let's talk about our list a little bit here. Uh, um, do you want to, why, why don't you just give us a film from your list? And I think we, I know we have some overlaps uh, between us. So, so a, 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 any film, any film on your list, yeah. Okay, okay. So save me, save the one that didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, let me start with the one that didn't make it, and it is Dr. Strangelove. 
And that was my uh, I, guess. I absolutely love a, a quote in an article in the New York Times, uh, Eric Rode, who did his own kind of review of the, the history of the, of, of the sight and sound list. He said, and he, he, he wrote this sentence for me. He says, on a personal note, a world where Dr. Strangelove is neither a top 100 film nor one of Stanley Kubrick's three best works is not one that I care to inhabit. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I consider Strangelove one of the perfect films. And so, yes, that will always be on my list. And I have no idea why it's there. Um, I mean, you don't have to take Barry Lyndon or Odyssey or The Shining off the top 100. All you got to do is add Strangelove. Yeah, I was I was really surprised to not see that on there. Um, I think that's on my daughter's list, so you can you can sure. rest assured you have an ally there. Um, I did have a Kubrick film on my list, uh, unsurprisingly, 2001: A Space Odyssey, which is my mm-hmm. favorite Kubrick film. Although I've been rewatching a lot of them, um, and uh, man, is he is he a great filmmaker? Uh, I, I, I rewatched Barry Lyndon recently. I rewatched Eyes Wide Shut recently. Just this weekend, I watched The Shining again because my daughter really wanted to see it. Um, I watched Clockwork Orange a couple weeks ago. So like I, I, I've been revisiting um, all, all of his stuff. Uh, but for me, 2001 is one of the most mesmerizing films I've ever seen. And every time I, every time I watch it, usually once a year, I will block mm-hmm. out an evening and set up everything perfectly to sit and watch it. And um, it's, I don't know why that movie has such a power over me, but it mm-hmm. does. So, um, so that was an, that was an easy pick for my Kubrick. Although I could easily take any number of his other films and be like, I would feel just as comfortable saying Barry Lyndon or strange love, mm-hmm. you know, on that list. How about another one? Yeah. How about, um, let's do one that a lot of people may not know. And that is, uh, uh Andre Tarkovsky's stalker. Uh, I had to put, I had to put Tarkovsky on the list and it's, I, I've seen all but one of his films. I'm still waiting to see nostalgia. Um, he's, he's just a filmmaker I love, but it, it was difficult to choose one film of his. And I decided to go with Stalker in part because my daughter thinks it's the most boring film ever made. So it's sort of a thumb in her nose. Um, but I just, I, I mean, Stalker is just, it's, it's a really fascinating film. And um, it may also have been the film that, that literally killed Tarkovsky because um, they filmed in a location that was highly polluted and he and several other people in the cast ended up with uh, uh, forms of various forms of cancer. So in a sense, it's kind of a, a sad film in that respect, but it's a film that just raises really interesting questions about, about human nature and about the, na- about the nature of, of, of desire, of sacrifice. Anyway, so that's, I had to put that on there. I love it. And I love that you mentioned your daughter because that is her response to 2000, my daughter's response to 2001. I've, I've watched it with her twice and she's like, she says never again. And I said, well, when you're like 35, watch it again. Cause maybe, maybe it'll have an effect on you. Um, I love this. I, I really liked the sacrifice. I actually watched another Tarkovsky film, nostalgia, which I really liked. Um, uh, my Christmas wish for 2023 is that we do at least one more Tarkovsky movie because um, I think he's the kind of, he's the kind of director I like. I like the kinds of conversations or speeches Mm -hmm. people make in his movies. I love the way he, uh, the way he moves the camera, um, the way you get long unbroken shots that, that move around a space. Um, So yeah, I, I I love that choice Uh, for my next one. I'm going to pick something you've already mentioned, which is uh, Theodore Dreyer's passion of Joan of Arc. Mm -hmm. Now I debated 
Passion of Joan of Arc or or Debt. I love mm. the movie or Debt a lot. I think I think ultimately Passion of Joan of Arc is more visually striking and mm-hmm. it gets points for being a uh, a silent film as well. Um, so so I, I put that on there. This is this is just one. This is a video store classic. This is one of my yeah. all time favorites. So it had to be on the list. You know the the reason the reason I hesitated a bit with uh, with Passion Joan of Arc, and by the way, um, I went back and I I rewatched um, Godard's My Life to Live, which I think I mentioned to you a while ago has a wonderful uh, scene where the main character goes in and watches part of Passion of Joan of Arc. But you know this may sound strange, Sam, but a, a lot of what I respond to in, in Passion of Joan of Arc has to do with the modern soundtrack. Um, the the uh, uh, I forget what it's called. Something of light. It's, it, it was a. Uh, it was composed just for the film, uh, like twenty years ago. And I have to say that when I think back on the film, I yes, it's the, it's the images I remember, but it's also the soundtrack I remember. And I keep thinking that's that's not that shouldn't be why you value a silent film. So that's sort of why I, I went that way with that. Yeah, I so, I, uh, I I I think it has a very. Uh, 1990s uh, music video aesthetic. Yes. And part of that is its relationship to the soundtrack. I think Falconetti is so great yeah. in that, though. Like, so much of that is about faces. Yeah, <laughs> that whole is, movie is, is about faces, and and I just think about. I think about all of the all of the 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 actors that are in there and all of the work that they're doing really just with their faces. I, it's it's I'm 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 also a church historian, so like you know I'll take the the transcripts of the trial of Joan of Arc. That's great fodder for a movie. And of course, and you just you just made a, a a nice reference to one of my other films that didn't quite make it, which is obviously Sunset Boulevard. Right? We didn't need words; we had faces. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm gonna. So as long as we're on the theme of music, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition to one that's it's perennially uh, in the top ten anyway, and that is uh, um, Singing in the Rain. Um, I just that is there's so much I love about that film. I, I love it as a film about Hollywood history. I love it as well about how movies are made. I, I love the singing. Uh, the, the dancing is unbelievable in that film. Um, to me, that's actually pretty close to a perfect film as well. I, I love that. That movie totally charmed me. Um, I was, we, we watched that for video store a couple of years ago and I was not excited. And it is to me, I, I, that's my, it's, maybe my favorite movie musical i loved it i loved it I, I still go back and watch clips of it on youtube just because i i, I love donald o'connor so much uh in that um my next movie i put casablanca on there because i think mm. I, I i wanted i wanted it as something that feels like a product of a hollywood studio because i wanted that represented and i just think it's uh, it's not the best movie ever made, but in some ways, it's like one of the more perfect movies ever made. In terms of the 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 script is 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 so great. I love um, I love Bogart in that movie. I love all of the the little characters in that movie. I love how they create a they create a little world that makes sense. Um, and it's it is the most like uh, one of the most iconic like. American movies, you know, to the extent where you, you know, when you just hear the strains of as time goes by, you think about, you feel like you're about to watch a movie montage, you know, like, like it is, it is such a movie, I guess is what I would say. So, um, so I put that on my list. Uh, and I also, I just, I would always watch that movie that, that, that's maybe a little desert islandy. Like, it's like, I would always enjoy going back to Casablanca. Well, I guess, I, I guess I'll, I'll save you from that to, um, to my favorite genre and, 
or style, whatever you want to call it, and not really being able to figure out which one I wanted to put. And that is no film noir, right? Um, which, which leads me to another one of my near misses. I, I love La Samurai. I, I just think that's a, that's a, but of course it's not a Hollywood film. It's a French film take. But I finally decided that um, I, I would put in The Third Man um, just because I, that is another one that is close to a perfect film. I think about, I mean, it just this has so many elements that come together so beautifully. It's got the Orson Welles performance. It's got the zither music. It's got Joseph Cotton. It's just got so much that I that I love about noir. And you and I had a really good conversation about that film, and I liked it going into our conversation. But I came out of it loving. I came out of it loving it even more. So that ended up being my my one kind of representation of noir. Well, and that's also one of our overlaps between our lists. I had the third man as well. It has Vienna, post-war Vienna. It's such a great companion piece with Casablanca. Um, it has a hammer of an ending. to. I mean, one of the great movie endings of all time. Um, I, I love everything about that movie. Um, so, yeah, I, that, that, that was one that uh, I've watched a couple times since we watched it for Video Store. And I mm. just think like, yeah, I mean, that that ended up being 63 on the list. And I felt great seeing it. Uh, felt great seeing it on there. I think that's like Casablanca it just feels sort of perfect it feels like everything clicked into place to make that uh to make that work well um I will throw out a movie that's also on both of our lists um I think and that is my Coppola movie which is Apocalypse Now I think that's on your list as well it is indeed yeah yeah uh, I just rewatched this my daughter and I had a um she's got really into reading novels about Vietnam. So she wanted to do a, my wife was gone. So we did a little film festival of Vietnam war movies. Um, and we watched platoon apocalypse now and full metal jacket. Um, and, uh, apocalypse now is one of the first, I think one of the first times that I, I was, uh, really gripped by a movie that was, that was telling a war that was telling a story that's conventional, a war story, but in a very non-conventional kind of impressionistic way. Um, I, I love um, Joseph Conrad's heart of darkness. And I love the idea of taking heart of darkness and setting it in this different world. Mm -hmm. Um, You get amazing performances. I mean, I, I think Martin Sheen is great in that movie, but then you get these other, you get these other folks showing up. So you get uh, Robert Duvall, you get Marlon Brando, uh, you get the guys on the boat with him and, yeah. you know, and, 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 and then seeing uh, hearts of darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse mm-hmm. by Eleanor Coppola, like brings that movie even more to life. Uh, it's it, that, that was one that I knew would appear on the list, but that's one that I want to keep pushing. Like I want to keep that in the top 20 of the list. Cause I think um, as much as I, as I love a movie like the Godfather, like apocalypse now to me is the great Coppola movie. Yeah, absolutely. I've got I've got a long history with that film, and every time I revisit it, it impresses me more and more and more. Um, so you know, when one of the criteria we criteria we talked about, or at least I talked about, was genre. So um, you know, I had to figure out. So what's my comedy? And uh, you know, you know, I love I love Preston Sturgis, um, but. I felt like when I kept thinking about, I mean, you could say Strange Love is a comedy, but I'm not going to count that. That's a satire. So I'm thinking of a real comedy. So I thought, well, what would I want to watch again and again? And I decided, and this is a director I wanted on the list as well. So I decided it had to be Some Like It Hot. Mm. Um, I just I, I just love so many things about that, about that film. It has possibly the best last line of any Hollywood film. And it's just, 
and 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 I and I love also the way it's in dialogue with other Hollywood films. And so you know, um, if you so to watch Tony Curtis do Cary Grant, um, to see Marilyn Monroe kind of do Marilyn Monroe, uh, Jack Lemmon is kind of at the top of his game. Joe E. Brown is one. I mean, there's just there's just so much great going on in, in that film that I that's one that I could watch many times. Well, and I will say he's a director that doesn't appear on my list, but if there is one director that I have come to love through doing this project, it's Billy Wilder. Um, we have started as a family, just if, we're, if we don't know a movie to watch, we'll just go find a Billy Wilder movie and watch it. So we watched a few weeks ago, we watched um, Witness for the Prosecution, which mm-hmm. is Charles, Charles Lawton. <clears throat> um, and that movie was great. I just feel like like Wilder has a just a magic touch with with films so the hard part with me is like what billy wilder film would i put on there i ended up not putting any on there but but <laughs> some like it hot is 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 a great choice um okay i'm gonna go ne- my next one is one that didn't make the list where so this is a one of the more contemporary uh directors and i really struggled because it's actually two directors um they make some of my favorite movies. I thought, well, how the Coens have to be on this oh, list. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I started, the hard part for me was like, in some ways, Fargo is the most Coens movie uh, that, that you could put on there. Uh, speaking of comedies, The Big Lebowski is my favorite comedy movie of all time. <clears throat> but when I think about the movies that draw me back again and again, um, and maybe you've just gotten into my head about Westerns, like, I love the movie No Country for Old Men so much. I'm a big Cormac McCarthy fan. It's such mm-hmm. a great adaptation of his novel. Um, so I, I I landed on, reluctantly landed on No Country for Old Men as my Cohen's, uh, my Cohen's movie. Didn't make the sight and sound list, which is fine. I'm a little sad that the Cohen's didn't make it at all. I think mm-hmm. I'd be curious if they, if we saw the like, 101 to 250 like do the coens show up there then because like they have the like wilder everything they touch seems great like like it's you know that they there there's very few misses in that filmography um and for me uh i I love that tommy lee jones performance in no country um i love the javier javier bardem performance Mm -hmm. uh it is it's this kind of relentless movie that um uh, I didn't expect from them and I really, really loved. So, um, so I put that one on my list, uh, as one of my, you know, kind of pushing towards something a little bit newer that I thought should be represented. Yeah, I, I fully agree, Sam. I mean, like, yeah, I, I can't believe that I, I didn't even put the Coens as a, as a near miss because that's certainly all the films you've mentioned. And for me, a serious man is, mm-hmm. uh, is probably my, that would be at the top for me as well. Um, so I'll mention one that I think we probably both have, uh, unless you've changed more than I realized, and that is Persona. Um, it's it's interesting to see, and maybe this is part of why, part of the idea that maybe uh, the, the degree to which films capture a particular uh, cultural moment, that Persona keeps slipping down the list. Right now it's down, uh, it's down to number 18. I forget what it was in 2012. But it also um, it also leads me to point out that surprisingly to me, uh, if you take the list as any kind of a guide, the best year in movies was 1966. There's six movies from 66 on the list, and Persona is there. Um, but for me, Persona is it's endlessly fascinating. I just, um, I, I yeah, to me, if there's any any movie I could I could watch over and over again, and and still not really kind of get to the bottom of it, it would be persona. So, 
Well, you are correct that that was on my list. That was when I was writing my list. It's the it's the fourth movie I wrote down as just like, well, obviously Persona is going to be on there. I love Ingmar Bergman. Um, mm-hmm. I the, I love the movie The Seventh Seal, which fell off the list this time. Um, he's somebody that I need to <clears throat> I need to see more of. I, I keep on my uh, on my Criterion channel. I have a little list of like, okay, here's the things that I really need to get around to, and 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 Bergman is is pretty uh, pretty big on that list. So that that's that's one of my favorite. Um, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, I love the um, the Liv Ullman performance, mm-hmm. um, and and I love the BB Anderson performance even better. I think she's better than Liv Ullman in that movie. <laughs> um, that that's the first movie we watched in in this podcast where I was shaken and stunned by. I mean, it's there, there's a reason it's at the top of my video store list is because I don't know that I felt that way uh, many times ever watching a movie. Uh, that that's one that I absolutely love. Um, for my next one, I'm gonna pick one of my big victories, which is a movie that wasn't on the list in uh, in 2012, and I thought it's got to be on the list this year, and it is, uh, and that is uh Hayao Miyazaki spirited away um I think I think you could make the case this is one of the great greatest movies ever made and it has to be on that list um we had a run of 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 movies on this podcast where I kept saying like why do you keep picking things that I feel like could be the argued the best movie ever spirited away is in that um I'm so excited for 2023 my daughter's not going to listen to this podcast so I'm going to say this for Christmas I got her the blu-ray miyazaki box set that's going to be our our 2023 is watching our way through miyazaki so i'm so excited uh so excited for that but spirited away is um is well it's between that and the wind rises in terms of what is what is what is my favorite of his the wind rises is a is a more of a gut punch spirited away is just a beautiful work of cinema and so that's why i picked that one and i was thrilled to see it on the list along with totoro Oh yeah, excellent. So I uh, I've got to put uh, I got to finally uh, do one of my other favorite directors, um, and I could put five or six of the films on this list, as is true with Kubrick. But uh, it's David Lynch, uh, and it's got to be Mulholland Drive, uh, which just keeps climbing up. It's uh, it's up to number eight this this, this time, and. You know, it's interesting because I realized I look at this, that's the uh, that's the third film I've mentioned that somehow is about Hollywood, is, is about film at the same time. But I don't think it's insular. I, I, I think it's about film. It's about Hollywood in the way that Hollywood kind of taps into our aspirations, our imaginations, our images of our, our, ourselves. And so I just... It's got everything that you expect from a from a from a Lynch film. Um, so I just I, I love that film and uh, Naomi Watts's performance is really amazing. Yeah, I just recently rewatched that um, a few months ago, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really fantastic. Um, so I was excited to see. I mean that was that was one of the few movies from the two thousands that were on that was on the twenty twelve yes, list, um, nice. and that along with uh, in the mood for love made a big jump up to uh, up to the top 10. So I was, I was excited to see that. I was excited to see that for, for Lynch, who's well represented on the, um, um, on the list. Cause he has that in blue velvet, right? Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. And then and on the I, director's I, list, he, he also has um, uh racerhead is on the director's list. Yeah. And by the way, I should mention that uh, just uh, within the past few days, Angelo Badalamente, his, um, his collaborator uh, in music uh, died at the age of 85 and, Lynch's films uh, would not, and Twin Peaks would not be what it is without those scores. 
So my next, uh, my next movie, and I think we're, we'll save the, the, well, I think a shared movie for last, uh, is one that didn't make it, but for me, maybe it's maybe it's sort of like too basic of a of a movie choice but it's one of my favorite directors it's the it is the movie that made me fall in love with films in a particular kind of way it's still the most maybe the most exciting movie theater experience i ever had and that is uh quentin tarantino's pulp fiction yeah i actually don't know how it's not on this list uh it's it it it, you know he it's been fun to watch a lot of french new wave movies as part of this project and realize like oh this is a part of tarantino like he he definitely loves some of the things that they're doing and he basically um translates some of that translated some of that stuff for me along with things coming from you know kung fu movies and all kinds of other things and translated it to a 17 or 18 year old me and made me realize like how much i loved that movie i uh and then i mean he's become the director of of people currently making movies he's the person when when something comes out i just get so excited about like getting to a theater and watching it and and um yeah it's I didn't know what movies could be until I saw Pulp Fiction. So for me, it, it is sort of a before and after kind of thing where where I, I walked out of that movie theater different. Um, and it's it's a movie that I go back to again and again and again. So I had it on my list and I was I was thinking, oh, well, this will obviously be the year, you know, now that we have this kind of remove that that uh, a Tarantino film will appear on this list. And it didn't. Again, I'd love to see 100 through 250 to see if a film like this shows up there. You know, Sam, you often ask me my history of the film, and um, I don't always have very interesting answers, but I can tell you exactly what theater I went to to see Pulp Fiction. I can tell you what time it was when I walked in, and I can tell you that I came out two hours later, like, amazed. I was like, that that was, you know, I was older than you were at the time. I still am. Uh, but it was like, the, the, this is, this is it, it, it was almost like that moment when, uh, when uh, John Landau saw Bruce Springsteen and said, I've seen the future of rock and roll and its name is Bruce Springsteen. I was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is such a shot in the arm and <laughs> for Hollywood films. Uh, yeah. That, so I, that, that's a near miss for me, but I'm glad you got it on there. Um, I know we're kind of uh, zooming in on uh, on a couple more. Well, I don't know if this one's a shared one or not. Maybe it may not be because I don't think you're as big a fan as I am. But uh, I got to have a Hitchcock, and for me, it's got to be Vertigo. Um, I just, um, you know, I, I wasn't really happy when Vertigo displaced Susan Kane as number one. Although I love both of those films, but I do love Vertigo, and um, I love Jimmy Stewart, and that's as good a film to have uh as your jimmy stewart film and that's the way i think about it i think about it as a jimmy stewart film um so that's that's a that's a great one for me absolutely and 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 i love i do love hitchcock uh and and i really like vertigo it's just i i mean i i'm a rear window guy like that's that's my jimmy stewart hitchcock i love i love rear window um so if i if i was gonna pick i did i don't have a hitchcock on my list but if i was gonna pick it probably would be rear window but Vertigo, like the history of Vertigo itself, that movie keeps growing. Every time I, I've seen it probably four, four or five times. And every time I see it, I'm always like, maybe that is kind of great. Maybe that is, maybe that is even better than I thought it was. And it's a movie that I definitely still think about. Like I still, I, I, I think, I, I think about both visually and narratively. I think about that movie and 
I also see it quoted in so many films that you watch. It's like, oh, this this is kind of set up like Vertigo or, yes. you know, e- again, either visually or narratively. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unbelievably, unbelievably important. Um, I'm down to my last film, but I think it's also one on your list. Um, and uh, and this is a this is a movie that I associate with you. So I'm going to let you introduce the last one on both of our lists. Well, you know, it's it's the, 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 this is both what one you, you feel in a sense like you have to say it. But I also think it's it's gen, it's genuinely true. Um, you know, it was number one for so many years, and in my mind, it's still number one. I think, and for many reasons, but one reason to me would be the influence. You know, when we talked about Kislowski uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, he talked about having seen this film a uh, hundred times, uh, and so it's it, I, it, it's because it's. It's such an influential film, and yet at the same time, you can watch it today, and it still is fresh and inventive. Um, and it's—I could only get one Orson Welles, and so it had to be Citizen Kane. So, well, and and you know, it's also for for it being you know, and this is this is how it gets dinged with a lot of younger people. You know, it's old, it's yeah. black and white. It is such a fun watch. It is. It, it is. is truly, truly a fun watch. It's kind of a mystery being solved it's got it's got every framing device you could have you know story within a story within a story it has you know i was just thinking about the opening of that movie where you know you get the opening shot and all of a sudden you get a, a newsreel and then you're in the news like and you're not even with with the main characters yet it's such a it, it is it, it feels like one of those things where and sadly this turned out to be almost true it's like Wells made that movie as if it was the only movie he was ever going to get to make. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. feels like that. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, I can't wait to see what he makes next. And then you have such a troubled career of trying to get things made. Um, so, so in some ways, you know, like, like, like I'm glad that he did put everything into that because, because sadly it was, was kind of the one, you know, not, it's not exactly the one shot, but kind of the one shot to have everything sort of work out as well as it could. And, and it's, uh yeah it's 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 i mean i use this word to talk about a couple other films but it's perfect like like it is there there's not a there's not a thing i would change about that movie um and at the same time it's a, such a joy to watch yeah yeah well i think these are good lists i, I it was it was fun to to sort of go through yours and think about like um uh you know think about which ones were what a would I have guessed you put on there and which ones, uh, which ones surprised me. Um, I'm excited for this 2022 list because this now gives me a, you know, gives me a set of things whenever I have a free couple of hours to sit and say, okay, well, I'm going to dive into this list and, you know, and, and watch, uh, watch things, things that come up here that I, that I hadn't, uh, haven't seen before. Um, Barrett, we are about a week away from Christmas at this point. Um, so we thought we would, close the show by each recommending a Christmas film uh, for people. If you're looking for something to watch around the holidays, we know that you like to watch a racer head, not exactly a Christmas film, but like what's your Christmas film recommendation? Well, you know, uh, as listeners know, uh, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we at the video store are fans of Preston Sturgis. Um, and so I think this is, this is a, not your typical Christmas movie, but I love Christmas in July. Um, so let's call this a Christmas themed movie, 
but it's got Dick Powell and Dick Powell is one of those actors that I could, I can watch him do almost anything. So it's a short little film. It's only 67 minutes, so you can watch it twice. Um, but I, I just, I, I love, I love that film. And it's maybe one that people have not come run across before. Fantastic. I'll have to, I'll have to look for that. I had a backup movie in case you pick the one I wanted to pick. I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase from you. We at video store love the films of Billy Wilder. And uh, if you look on this site and sound list at number 54, there's a little movie called the apartment which won Best Picture. It's set at Christmas and New Year's. It's kind of a melancholy Christmas mm-hmm, uh, Christmas mm-hmm. movie. Uh, stars Jack Lemmon and um, Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. It is a, this is one of those movies that we watched on a night where we're like, let's just watch a Billy Wilder movie and I watched it. And I didn't realize it was a Best Picture winner at the time. I was like, wow, this is just a movie he made. <laughs> and uh, it's really fantastic. I love Jack Lemmon a lot. I, I, I Shirley MacLaine is great in this movie. Again, so if you're looking for like a somber, you know, kind of maybe melancholy end of year Christmas movie, uh, you could do a lot worse than than The Apartment. My backup movie is something we watched a few weeks ago, which is I am firmly in, uh, entrenched that um, uh, that Night of the Hunter is a secret Christmas movie. So I think that's <laughs> yes. what we're watching this year at Christmas. So so if you want one other one, if you didn't watch Night of the Hunter before, that, that works as like a Christmas, Christmas Eve movie to watch. So, uh, so, so I'll give you that recommendation as well. I should also say The Apartment is another wilder film that he also wrote with uh, I.A. Diamond that has a great closing line as well. But I should, also, I should say, since Christmas in July is so brief and it's, uh, it's a real upper of a film, you can do yourself a, a double feature and uh, start with The Apartment and, uh, and finish with Christmas in July. Love it. Love it. All right, Barrett, uh, we are running out of time. Um, we're going to take a little break on the show. Our next episode is coming out on Sunday, January 8th. Uh, what do you have for us? I think I have to make a really obvious choice. And that is since we do have a break and we got a lot of time, I think we need to watch the number one film on the site and sound list and dig in for three hours and 20 minutes of Jean Dielman. I am so happy that you said that because I was thinking all over break, I'm going to have time. I'm going to watch this. So now I get to watch it with a specific set of eyes. Thank you so much, Barrett. Thank you for doing this episode. This was really fun to talk through the list with you and also talk through our um, our ballots. Mm-hmm. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back next or we will be back on January 8th <laughs> to talk about John Dealman in the video store.